CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. is live. It is Thursday night, May 19th, the year of our Lord, 2022. This show brought to you by popcorn, maybe a little sliced bread. Where were you on May 18th and 19th, as it turns out? Your children will ask you that, people, one day. Well, you can tell them you were right there smack dab in the middle of a knife fight in the SEC West. We are jam-packed, high atop a suspenseful downtown Nashville, Tennessee, Saban versus Jimbo. We're not going to waste much time. We're going to get into that tonight. Uh, got a lot to talk about with that. Got several angles. Spent the entire day on the eye, Josh. It is gasping for breath. It's on the red battery level right now. But I got some good feedback, got some good intel. A lot of people behind the scenes had a lot of things to say that they didn't necessarily want to say publicly. And so why not say it for them? We are also 100 days away from kickoff 2022. I've got a lot of things to talk about there. Uh, our bold prediction segment hits chapter nine tonight. I have suggested we just start using. WrestleMania Roman numerals on the graphic, and Jesse and company have acquiesced there. We got a loaded mailbag. Jordan Addison has committed to USC. Uh, we've got a legend hanging it up in the SEC. We got so much to get to tonight. Thank you for being here. Anderson, South Carolina is tuned in. Javier in Chicago tuned in. That's Franklin's brother, by the way, for those of you unfamiliar. And in Nashville, Tennessee, Nick and Liz watching tonight. I know we got a lot of newcomers. I know a lot of people may watch this show who have never checked out the show. Let me tell you something. You have made us, uh, in some metrics, the biggest college football show in the country right now. And in the metrics, we aren't there yet. We will be soon. It's your college football show. So if you're looking for one that doesn't have the mess that you don't want, and you just want college football the way you talk about it with your buddies and the way you grew up talking about it, you found it right here. We don't think you need to go anywhere else. So subscribe. Subscribe on Pod. Subscribe on the YouTube channel, wherever you are. Thank you for being here. Let's dive into this. <clears throat> what a surreal 24 hours. I don't know what you were doing last night. I mean, I was minding my own business and all of a sudden I was scrolling through Twitter and I saw a quote that I thought was fake, but I saw a video and I knew that couldn't be a deep fake. There's no anecdote. I don't have any fancy metaphor for you. I'm just telling you, I don't think I've ever witnessed anything quite like we have seen over the last 24 hours from Nick Saban at Alabama, from Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. I mean, Jimbo takes to the podium today in response to what Nick Saban said last night. And I thought he was going to step up, to be honest with you, and just kind of refute some of the allegations. Well, he did that, but he went a lot further and took a flamethrower to every fiber of Nick Saban's being. We had an insult metaphor that we kept track of in real time. Narcissist was used. Despicable half a dozen times was used. Referred to Saban as God twice. Now, you notice no one pushed back on that today. It reminded me, the first time I ever went to a game at Bama, that Nick Saban was coaching. I don't condone what I'm about to say. I didn't like the poster, but it is reality. There was a guy holding up a poster at college game day that said, Nick Saban died from my sins. So there are people out there who do sort of kind of deify these head coaches. Again, don't like that. You know my faith and you know my background. But 
where, where is your mind on all this right now? I'll tell you where mine is because I've got so many thoughts. I wanted to start the show early tonight. Management saw fit to kind of rein me in and let's start this thing at a normal time. I know that most of you have already heard the sound from last night, but I do think that civilizations thousands of years from now will probably study May 19th in the year of our Lord 2022, and they will need proper context. So for the couple of you who haven't heard, let's go back to last night. Birmingham, Alabama speaking function. I've got a lot to talk about with this. I've spoken to folks who were there. I've spoken to folks behind the scenes. So I've got a lot to say on the other side of this. Here's Nick Saban last night. It's not supposed to be something where people come and make money. And you make a decision about where you go to school based on how much money you're going to make. You should make a decision based on where you have the best chance to develop as a person, as a student, and as a player, which is what we've always tried to major in. And we're going to continue to do that. And hopefully there's enough people out there that will want to do it. But I know the consequence is going to be difficult for the people who are spending tons of money to get players. And you've read about them. You know who they are. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. All right, we didn't buy one player, all right? But I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it. That's Nick Saban again at a function last night. Got more to say about it in just a second. So suffice to say he's not happy with the structure of NIL. We saw Nick Saban go many steps further than we've seen him go in the past, and he mentioned schools by name. Jimbo Fisher was not going to let that rest, nor did anyone expect he was. So this morning... As you're eating your Cheerios, all of a sudden, there comes the flash on the phone. Jimbo Fisher's got a press conference. Impromptu. So impromptu, he wore jeans to it, and the water bottle didn't even have a label on it. Here's Jimbo Fisher in College Station. First of all, I'll say it's a shame that we have to do this. It's really despicable. It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organ. More importantly, 17-year-old kids. You're taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families. That they broke state laws. That they're, that they're, they're all money. They're, we bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things. And these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this when he doesn't get his way or things don't go his way. The narcissist in him doesn't allow those things to happen. And it's ridiculous. But when, when he's not on top and – the parody in college football he's been talking about, go talk to coaches who coach for him. You'll find out all the parody. Go dig into wherever he's been. We've never seen anything like that play out publicly, at least in a long, long time. That is not happening in Mike Slive's SEC. Now, it did happen in Greg Sankey's SEC, but I've also got something to say about him because he, the commissioner of the SEC, has since publicly reprimanded both of them. Did you ever think that you were going to see Nick Saban publicly reprimanded by the office that some of you, especially in the YouTube chat, happen to uh, claim that he runs. Here's what I want to ask you. Let's get serious about this for a second. Because we could take the high road and we could just move on. But who in the world wants to take the high road tonight? But I do want to ask you this. Did you hear that? Most people did. Then I want to ask you, did you really hear what you thought you heard? So I want you to frame in your mind, without going back and listening again, what did Nick Saban say? What did Jimbo Fisher say? What was really the key? If you had to take away one or two things, what were the biggest takeaways? So I talked to a ton of people around both programs today. 
I talked to coaches. I mean, anyone who was willing to talk with any kind of informed opinion on this, I talked to them. This is in no particular order. I'm just going to, I aggregated as many thoughts as I could gather today from people. Nick Saban was very much out of line last night. He knows that. I think he since went on Sirius XM earlier today and admitted such. So he apologized for it. I think he knew it moments after the event concluded. I also have it on very good authority that that was not an event last night that was advertised as being open to the media. So I'm not excuse making for Nick Saban. Please don't misunderstand me. That's why I led with, he's out of line. He, he said something stupid last night. He shouldn't have said it. I think what he perceived that to be was a closed environment where he was talking to some supporters of the University of Alabama. Now, any of you who have ever been in that setting, I don't care if it's Missouri football, I don't care if it's Illinois football or Alabama football, if you're in that setting, there's a reason why those are close to the media. Because things like that actually are not that uncommon for that setting. But at the same time, when you're the most high-profile figure in the sport, even if there's not a $5,000 camera on a tripod in there, you got these, you got iPhones in there, or in my case, iJosh's available for purchase soon. We're working with Apple on that. So Nick Saban said some stupid stuff last night. He has since retracted on that. He said he's sorry. I wanted the focus to be on the structure and what's wrong with the sport rather than individual names. I uh, talked about Texas A&M, talked about uh, Jackson State, which in and of itself is just a wild headline that you never would have believed five years ago. Talked about Miami briefly. That's point one. Point two is the personal stuff from Jimbo this morning I thought was way over the line because I didn't expect it from him. Now, here's what I do understand. What I do understand is getting really bent out of shape, as he should have, as I would have been, at someone hurling allegations my way. Whether they're true or not, you and I will discuss together in just a second because we've already talked about it. If you have watched this program for any length of time, you remember we had him on the show. We had Jimbo Fisher on the show. And famously, he didn't wait until May 18th or 19th. He said that day, NIL had nothing to do with this. This was not some headline from him. What he said earlier today is not a headline. He's repeating what he's already said many times. That's not what I had the problem with. But man, he went after Nick Saban's character pretty hard. And then at the end, he withdrew himself from the opportunity that a member of the assembled media gave him there to just out and out say, are you claiming Nick Saban's cheating? Yeah. No, they asked him, are you claiming Nick Saban's cheating? He said, I say that. Of course he didn't. Uh, I laugh because that part was kind of funny, but overall, yeah, man, the, uh, the personal attacks, a little bit over the line for me, but if I'm a Texas A&M fan, I couldn't care less about that. If I'm a Texas A&M fan, I absolve you guys. Uh, I'm, I assume you would be aggravated at me saying that in the comments, but if I were there with you, I'd be aggravated at me saying that too. I get wanting your guy to fight for your program and defend your program. If you're an Alabama fan right now, you probably have nothing nice to say about Jimbo Fisher. I get all that, okay? If, if anything, I'm kind of speaking past those fan bases to the ones that aren't involved. They've just been on the sideline watching this over the last 24 hours. The third thing that I want to touch on, speaking of those sidelines, is the shocking amount of silence outside of Oxford, Mississippi, because Lane Kiffin, there was no prayer he was going to keep his mouth shut on this. Outside of Oxford, Mississippi, who else spoke up today? Did you, did you hear anyone else speak up? Do you find that odd? Do you find it odd that two of the highest paid men in this profession and longest tenured men in this profession publicly went at each other's throats in a manner that really none of us have seen before, or at least in several years, and not anyone had 
really notable public commentary on it. Well, I'll tell you why. I talked to a lot of them behind the scenes today. They're conflicted on it. Because believe it or not, there are a lot of coaches out there that don't like Nick Saban because he's beaten them a whole lot on the recruiting trail, on the field, and therefore they may not have had the stones in the past to speak out against them, but they sure did rah-rah and wave that pom-pom when someone finally did. So they like that aspect. But those same folks listened to Saban last night and they would readily tell you. Well, they told me at least today, uh, he was right now. I mean, <laughs> I may not like the guy, but he was right. Like we all think the same thing that he said is true. And so they're looking there and they said, who do I root for? What side do I take? Is there any side to take? Are we doing some of the things that they are alleging that each one has done to the other? So let's just keep our mouth shut. So that was the modus operandi in a lot of athletic departments today. Just shut up. Let them fight it out. It's May. Go on vacation. Just throw your phone in a lake if you have to. Don't say anything. And then the day wore on and wore on and wore on, and the SEC commissioner was really nowhere to be found. Now, I'll tell you how I perceived that, and it turned out I may have been a little bit wrong, or maybe I wasn't. In the past, in the SEC, for those unfamiliar, the commissioner before Greg Sankey was Mike Slive. He was around for a long time. And Mike Slive uh, swung a pretty big stick when it came to making sure none of this ever happened out in the open. Now, I get you in closed door setting in a spring meeting, or if I get you one-on-one, -on -one, or if you're in my office, I don't care. You can shout at each other as, as loud as you want to, but you're not going to do it publicly because you're not going to sully the good reputation of this brand that we've built down here. Now, Greg Sankey was there and learned under Mike's life. He is now the commissioner of the SEC. I'll tell you why there was a part of me that thought maybe we don't hear from Sankey at all today. Because more so than any other conference commissioner out there, and certainly more so than his predecessors, Greg Sankey has exhibited the fact that he views this as an entertainment product, first and foremost. And so I pictured Sankey possibly sitting in his office being disgusted with what he saw. There's no part of me that thought he liked it, but I thought he may look at it and say, you know what? They pay us these billions of dollars from these networks for a reason. And it's not always to keep everything in line and have perfect harmony amongst ourselves. If they want to go at each other like five-year-olds, I'm not a kindergarten teacher. This is not a playground, okay? It's not going to be my role to police all this. Having said that, about three hours ago, they issue a public reprimand. And so Greg Sankey slaps one wrist, slaps the other wrist. I don't even know what actually goes into a public reprimand. I mean, it's kind of like a warning by a hall monitor, I guess. But the fact of the matter is that was issued. So anyone keeping score out there, that's one check in each box. Saban, Fisher, public reprimands. I get what sells here. I know what all you've been talking about today. Trust me. I've looked at my phone. I've looked at my DMs and inbox. I know what sells. Like if, if I were to walk out in a food court in a mall and just yell, sex, everybody stops. Everybody stops. But if one guy who's making eight plus million dollars a year calls the other guy who's making eight plus million dollars a year a narcissist and claims that he's not really God like you think he is and calls him despicable half a dozen times, then people really, really shut up and listen and then they all have opinions. So I get that's why that part of this little squabble dominated the conversation today. But this is where I want to get around to asking you what the real argument was. And that's why I asked you about five minutes ago, what was the real argument? And what was your biggest takeaway? Because I watched it and I was just as shocked as you were. My jaw was on the ground just like yours. 
But then I absorbed it a little bit and reflected on it and said, I, um, I actually think there was a lot more to that than we just heard. So, what's the disagreement? Is the disagreement over what you think it is? The real argument here is not what Nick Saban alleged. Nick Saban uh, called Jimbo Fisher out, claimed he bought an entire class. I read my DMs. Most of you think he did that anyway. You don't think that now just because Saban said it. Jimbo Fisher said Nick Saban's done it his whole career. Nobody had their mind changed by that. A lot of you already think Saban was doing that. So you didn't just all of a sudden this morning say, yep, previously I wasn't sold on it, but now that Jimbo said it in jeans at a press conference on a random Wednesday morning in May in College Station, now and only now do I think Saban's maybe been doing some things that weren't above board. That stuff they alleged at each other over the past 24 hours, you either already thought it was true or you still don't think it's true and you really couldn't care less what they're saying. That's not the real question that I arrived at. The real question was, why did we see something last night and this morning, the likes of which we really haven't seen publicly? And the reason is because the sport's in a place that it's really never been. And that is where I want to circle back to something else that was said last night and something else that was said this morning, which to me is the bigger takeaway than any amount of bickering back and forth between those two. Because there's what we heard, and then there's what was really said. Oftentimes that's a theme on this show. You know, anytime we bother to load up some sots, some audio, some sound on tape, we're listening for what was actually said and not just what we heard. So did you hear what you thought you heard last night? Is what I want to know. Because what you think you heard is just two grown men who make millions of dollars going at each other's throats. And that happened last night. It happened this morning. It's been an ugly scene. But is that really the biggest takeaway? Because I'll tell you, the more I listen to it closely, what I took away, and that's both of them agreed. They're holding the same hymnal and singing the same verse when it comes to the most important topic in the room. So here's some of the sound that folks aren't playing for you today that I think was actually the biggest takeaway. Roll it, Colin. We're just going to make a rule where everybody can transfer. That's how that happened. So if the NCAA doesn't get some protection from litigation, whether we got to get an antitrust or whatever it is, from a federal government standpoint, this is not going to change because they cannot enforce their rules. Just I would like to find unified rules across this country, put things in place. That's what I want. I don't know what those are. I'm not smart enough to figure it out. I don't know what the antitrust laws, all those bylaws, the government needs to step in. They argued back and forth. They went at each other's throats. When it came to the most important topic in the room, they were singing from the same hymnal. They were right on page. And they agree. You know why? Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban agreed on the most important point in the room because virtually every leader in college football has agreed on that point. It goes back to the old school bus metaphor, which has been the crux of the biggest problem I've had for quite a while with the entire state of this. There's a lot of nuance. You know, you can't fit it in one tweet. So when you say things like, boy, we got to rein this in, may even need some federal government assistance and antitrust legislation, automatically, that's just a bell in someone's mind for you don't want kids to make money. Well, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. Uh, there, are fe- there are folks like me and, and even folks like Nick Saban who say, no, nah, NIL's fine if it's, if it's used in the true spirit of what NIL is supposed to be about. There are consequences to having a true free market approach to this sport that no one wants to face. But there are a lot of folks out there waving the free market flag in college athletics that have no interest in the consequences that that would bear out. But when you start having that conversation, 
it usually devolves into, well, quite frankly, what we've seen the last 24 hours, which is where you have to have leadership. You know, folks like Nick Saban, folks like Jimbo Fisher, they got to be a lot better because those are the ones. And conference commissioners, and I've told you TV executives play a big part in this, they got to lead. If you claim that you agree on the core matter here, which is how you get some legitimate guidelines in this whole thing, then you got to lead and you got to shut up yelling at each other and you got to pull in the same direction because in case you haven't noticed, the old school bus metaphor still applies. You got a whole bunch of people yelling in the passenger seats and there's no one at the wheel. No one. You think, well, there should be the conference commissioner up there. There should be the college football commissioner up there. Well, we don't have one of them. NCAA president's MIA and has no power to do anything regardless. And you got folks, meanwhile, a tier below, arguing about how big a playoff should be, arguing about who's buying players. You can be very penny-wise, pound-foolish in all this. Everything Saban and Jimbo Fisher said about each other could be 100% true. And yet, if that's where the focus is, you're still missing the boat. You're missing the boat because if the sport that you have made a very, very handsome living at is going to bear any resemblance to what you came up coaching in, you've got a fork in the road coming up. You got a fork in the road and, and both of you and everyone else is freely admitting the current governing body over this sport has no power to control it. It's very unfortunate that the sport, because it didn't take proactive measures years ago, finds itself in a position where it has to look the way of Washington, D.C. But it does. And that's where we are right now. I can promise you that folks in Congress are a whole lot more likely to take you serious if they don't turn on SportsCenter or CBS Sports HQ in the morning and see you calling each other despicable and seeing what happened in Birmingham last night. It's just a guess here. It's just a, a pretty good feel I have that you're a whole lot more likely to get what you want. But I had a long conversation with someone about this today, about what's going to happen if you get federal antitrust exemption for college football. That is going to trigger a lot of people coming into the college football space that really don't have the best interest of the sport at heart, but they view it more as a social issue at that point. Because you're trying to keep a lot of kids, some of whom grew up very impoverished, away from money that they deserve. Well, if you let me draw it up, no, I'm not. I'm not at all. Because I think it would be very irresponsible, even if you got help from Congress, to be one of the power brokers in college football and not understand we crossed the Rubicon already. And we've got TV deals being signed in the billions. So if you're talking about revenue sharing, even if we're not forced to do it, it's the right thing to do. There's a way to appease all parties here. There's a way to feed all the mouths that are open. And there's a way to do it responsibly, where college football is able to sustain itself as you've grown up knowing it. Or you can just sit around and bicker with each other and let it go off the rails, and then who in the world knows what we have five years from now. So I don't really think there was a... I, I'm not in the business of taking sides on this thing right now. I'm just telling you, it's a very dangerous time. Jesse finally watched Almost Famous. So to, to steal a quote from there, you're coming along at a very dangerous time in rock and roll, or in this case, college football. The war is over. They won. Yeah. So what happens after that? That's the question. That's the dot, dot, dot. That's the great unknown uh, because we have yet to see it. Academy Sports and Outdoors is one of the constants on this show. In a sea of uncertainty, Academy Sports and Outdoors has our back. They've got your back. I don't care what you're doing this time of year. I'm looking around. I see those weather reports. I know you're in the 60s, 70s, 80s. It is prime outdoor season. So get some Claritin, get some Afrin, 
couple of the few products they probably don't sell at Academy, get the allergies taken care of, and get outdoors. Whether it's a kayak or a baseball glove, whether it's soccer equipment, whether it's a grill, whatever you need. Our exclusive partner, the one that makes this entire show free and possible for you, they've got it all. And if you can't get to an Academy Sports and Outdoors in person, boom, 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 academy.com. So easy. You don't even have to type in Academy Sports and Outdoors, just academy.com. One-stop shop for all of your outdoor sporting goods and, my words not theirs, life needs. Thank you so much to Academy Sports and Outdoors. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! They're watching us in Corpus Christi, Texas. They're tuned in in Rome, Georgia, and Jefferson City, Missouri. Thank you so much for being tuned in. Do you, do you know what this show was going to lead with tonight? I was so happy. I got certain things marked on my calendar. My birthday's not even one of them, but 100 days until kickoff is one of them. I did a hit on HQ today, Brady Quinn and Chris Hassel, friends of the program to say the least, and we talked about this, and it was going to leave the show tonight, but man, if something bigger didn't pop up. Well, Colin, here's your end point. 100 days to kickoff. We had the Renaissance Tour last year. I got a really, really good leading candidate for the name of this year's tour, but forget about that. We'll name this year's tour down the road. What are we looking forward to this year? Coast to coast. I think it's being very, very underestimated right now. How much genuine excitement there could be coast to coast? How much relevancy there could be coast to coast? I mean, we'll get to the West Coast in a second. There are things popping all over the West Coast right now. That's normally the sleepy coast for college football. Just some things I'm looking forward to. The SEC picture. I mean, we're in a post-Georgia national championship world now. Whomst amongst us under the age of like 40 has ever been able to say that? Answer, no one. So you get to talk about them defending a title, if that's the nomenclature you so choose. I got Lane Kiffin over there with one of the biggest sleeper Heisman candidates in the country and Zach Evans, and maybe, maybe just the biggest sleeper team in the country. I got Alabama and Nick Saban having been to the championship game last year, but having multiple Heisman favorites. Bama's got two of the preseason top three Heisman favorites, at least in terms of odds. New coaches, you need them, you got them. Brian Kelly, Baton Rouge, Billy Napier, Gainesville. We are going to get Alabama versus Texas A&M on a real-life football field in early October. I get to see Sam Pittman's follow-up campaign from bursting on the scene last year. I just went like eight teams deep. I didn't even mention Tennessee. Haven't even gotten to what Kentucky could do this year in Tennessee. So basically just every team in the conference, there's something to be taken away from there. The two most interesting teams in the country to me, though, are not even in the SEC. One of them's Texas, and one of them's Clemson. And that's, that's just one word, one of them. Because we're in a hurry around here. And if you grew up in West Central Georgia, one of them is a waste of time. One of them being Texas. Because I really want to know how much changed. 40 plus percent of their roster has turned over. How much changed at Texas? 
Sark could not even answer this question for you, and he's the head coach there, because a lot of it is intangible in nature. A lot of the glue that holds a program together, that adhesive, if you've ever played, if you've ever coached, you've been in a locker room where it existed, and maybe some of you have been in a locker room where it hasn't existed. How do you quantify that? How do you define it? You don't. You just know there's a difference in a team that pulls apart that easy and one that sticks together a little bit more. And I'm sure someone's going to gif what I just did with my hands later. Probably going to be me. If you're listening on podcast, stay on podcast. Take my word for it right now. What if they get into the season? You're looking at their schedule if you're watching on YouTube right now. They play Bama week two. They'll be a double-digit underdog. Okay, what if they lose that game 31-21? But then they get into the rest of the season and they struggle against West Virginia. Let's say they drop another game to Oklahoma. What if they're trekking for an 8-4 and four or a 7-5 and five season? It would be a win-loss improvement over a year ago, but would people really be happy in Austin? Especially when you've got Quinn Ewers in there, who most of us presume will be the starting quarterback. At Clemson, I have no clue what to expect. I mean, you've got two worlds here, and they're totally divergent. One of them is Clemson reassumes their place at the mountaintop of the ACC. And if that's the case, they're in the playoff conversation and all's well that ends well there. But if they don't, do you understand what that does? Twofold. Number one, to the Clemson Tigers, you've got people questioning a guy who's already won two national championships. And we're, we're legitimately at that point talking about whether that era has come and gone. And even if it has, it's a heck of an era. Uh, you find how many programs have won two national championships in a three or four year span. They don't do it very often. But we're in 2022. We're not in 16 or 18. And so from this point moving forward, we would have a lot to talk about. If Clemson is not playing for an ACC championship again, there will rightfully be questions being asked up there. I assume by Dabo Swinney himself. And the other part of that is if either of these teams does click on all cylinders this year, they've got playoff potential just because of the roster alone. If Clemson clicks on all cylinders, if they are in the ACC championship game, stands to reason they're probably in the playoff picture. If ditto happens with Texas, and I, I say this very softly, they would be in the playoff picture. I don't know that people are ready for a college football where Texas is in the playoff picture. We hadn't really seen it yet. I also want to talk to you about sleepers amongst us. And I think I have several of them, but I narrowed it down to three. I think Arkansas is must-see this year. K.J. Jefferson returns at quarterback. you got a lot of people questioning whether you can replace a guy like Traylon Burks, and it's like they know the name Hazelwood, and they saw him play at Oklahoma, but they just don't think he's capable of filling those shoes, and they don't really believe that Arkansas is capable of replicating that 9-4 and four magic from a year ago. This schedule is brutality. Their out-of-conference game is Cincinnati. Their out-of-conference game is Liberty. They go to Brigham Young. So it's, it's what you would do if you were the AD at Arkansas, but you knew you were leaving tomorrow and you hated your replacement. This is the kind of schedule you'd put together. Having said that, oh, by the way, you got to play neutral side against A&M. But having said that, I want to know what caliber team they're going to have. Arkansas could be 9-3 and three in one of the best teams in the country this year, given the strength of schedule. Uh, and also, it's... It's kind of a referendum on, I think, something a lot of other programs are watching. I've beaten this to death. I understand that. But just once more for the newcomers around here, that guy right there, Sam Pittman, is different resume-wise than any other head coach that was vying for that job and pretty much any other head coach that anyone else would have hired in the country. Sam Pittman's probably not a fit anywhere else. 
Uh, Shane Beamer, who knows? Maybe he's not a fit anywhere else. Mel Tucker, maybe he's not a fit anywhere else. Those guys are so perfectly positioned, though, the places they're at right now. Culture fits. Going back to that, that invisible but very present adhesive, if it continues to work for him at a high level. I really believe we're on the precipice of seeing some truly unconventional hiring methodology being inserted into athletic departments all over the country because of the example that is in the process of being set at Arkansas. And so that is a reason why, even if you're not a fan of Arkansas, you need to watch Arkansas this year. North Carolina State, we go right back to that possibly jumbled picture in the ACC. But you see, North Carolina State may be a team that doesn't need Clemson to trip up. North Carolina State looks in the mirror and they say, we don't need them to fall off. We'll just go beat them. Like we're good enough to where we can still compete for this thing, even if Clemson is good this year. They can be good, but still total loss against us October 1st. So that's big talk. And I guess I'm speaking for the Wolfpack there, but uh, they believe that this is the best crew they've had come through there in several years, and they are positioned very well. They've got a very, very veteran team. There is no doubting the identity, uh, the chemistry there, really good. They haven't accomplished anything, so there's no threat of complacency. It's all there. They got a big opportunity this year at North Carolina State. And it's a team that obviously they're not going to grace many national preseason preview magazines. I don't think they mind that. I think they relish that role. North Carolina State's definitely one to watch in the ACC. And out in the Pac-12, how much must Kyle Whittingham love hearing all the talk about USC? And for that matter, Oregon. You know, there are new staffs in place in both outposts there on the coast. And there's a lot of attention on Oregon for a reason. There's a lot of attention on USC for a reason. Kyle Whittingham's been the model of stability in Salt Lake City. Utah won the conference last year, and they body-bagged Oregon twice to do it, and uh, probably feel like they would have done it another half dozen times if you made them do it. But the point is, you had folks like me picking against them. I think I picked Oregon to win both games. And it's like, at what point do you realize that's just a really dumb team to bet against? Utah's a really dumb team to bet against. And then you listen to the, the conversation, and it will grow louder as we get close to the season. Listen to some of the conversation going into this year. And sure enough, you're going to look at those preseason Pac-12 odds, and you're going to see things like USC not only favored, to, well, I guess, what do we not even have divisions out there anymore so much? We got scheduling divisions, but we don't have divisional play for the conference title game. And what I just said, if it doesn't make sense, it's because it was news that broke this week. We'll talk about it later in the program. But you'll see those odds, and they'll be in USC's favor. Southern Cal plays at Utah October 15th. Southern Cal opened as a short favorite. It's gotten even shorter because people like me have been betting the other side of it. I think it's ditto. It's the same as we see with North Carolina State. you got Utah. Like how, how many programs out there are more comfortable and sure of their identity than Utah football? They could not care less about who believes in them and doesn't believe in them. So we got the sleepers. Always fun to talk about them. And you know what, selfishly, you know what else I'm looking forward to this year? Hype videos that feature late kick. We got two rules on this show. One, don't lose to food, which pretty much means don't drop a game to rice. And the second is if you put us in a hype video, 100% of the time, we are putting you on this program. South Carolina, you're up. Roll it, Colin. But I can tell you what the most underrated stadium I've been to is. 
I found myself standing on the field, looking around saying, people don't talk about Williams-Brice Stadium nearly as much as they should. One of the greatest entrances in all of college football. They got one of the best home field advantages from the game. Get that 3.30 Eastern time kick, so by the time you wrap it up, it's nighttime, and that's student section. The rain breaks out of Columbia. on game day to make that place a really, really intimidating environment. When they wave those towels, when they play Sandstorm, when when it's third down and three in Williams-Brice Stadium, you can't hear anything. Pure, unbridled passion here at Williams-Brice. They know they've got something special here. I went home and I said, Dear Diary, Williams-Brice Stadium impressed me today. We were a little surprised that they included the Dear Diary part. But yes, shout out to our friends there at South Carolina. You put us in the hype video, we're putting you on the show. Those are just some of the many things I'm looking forward to this season in college football. And like I told you, I think we've got the name for the Late Kick Tour. I think we've got the name. I'm not ready to unveil it yet, but I think we got the name. So stay tuned on that. We've been doing something around here. Well, you've been doing something. I've just been echoing your thoughts. And what have we been on this roll for about two months now? Bold prediction 9.0, the ninth chapter here. The things that you have told me you believe in enough to put your money on. Here we go. Five more big ones tonight. First up, we're going to the Big Ten, and it is the following. Both Ohio State and Michigan will make the college football playoff this year. How unprecedented would this be? Totally, because it's never happened for the Big Ten. The only two times that teams from the same conference have made the playoff. Has all, it's been both teams, the Georgia-Alabama combination both times. And uh, so it would be unprecedented for the Big Ten. I made this a nine on the boldness scale. First off, just because of what I just said, how hard it is. Secondly, I could get with the theory. If you told me that you think Ohio State and Michigan are both going to be good enough caliber teams to make the playoff, um, you would have a conversation with me. It's the scheduling dynamic that makes it so hard. They play each other the last week of the regular season. So I'm trying to think to myself, obviously there are scenarios out there where it could happen, but what would need to happen? And I think what would need to happen is Michigan would need to lose. You probably got a better shot here if Michigan loses because if they're undefeated, if Michigan's undefeated and they go into the big house, or well, actually they're going to Columbus this year, and they lose a competitive game, and that's the only blip on their resume. I could see that. I could see them not going to Indianapolis to play for the conference title, or maybe actually they do. Maybe the Big Ten changes their rules like the Pac-12 did. But I could see that. I'm not sure, even if Ohio State's undefeated, I'm not sure if they get that game at home and they lose again to Michigan, even though again shouldn't even enter the equation because it's one year and one year only, I'm still not sure what that committee would do. So there's a way for it to happen. I'm just I'm saying that's really bold, and that's what this segment's for. The national championship odds, Ohio State, the third odds on favorite right now to win it all at plus 450. Michigan is 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. They are 12th at plus 4,000. And actually, they've got like a 19-way tie with the likes of Notre Dame, Wisconsin, Utah, Oregon, Florida. So it's pretty bold. I'm going to grant you that. Nine is almost as high as we go around here. Next up, got another one. This one's from the Big 12. Oklahoma and Texas are way overhyped. I think we see someone else win the Big 12 this season. Okay, so someone other than OU or Texas wins the Big 12. Seven? 
It's not the boldest thing to say in the world. I mean, we've been propping Texas up for quite a while in preview culture, and they've let us down. I speak in a very inclusive manner there because I have been part of the crowd that's been let down by Texas. But, you know, if you were telling me neither one of them is going to make the conference title game, that'd be one thing. That'd be really, really bold. But we're talking about just neither one of them is going to win the conference. Well, Oklahoma State's a plus 500 right now to win the conference. Baylor's plus 700. OU and Texas, for the record, are number one, number two in the odds to win the Big 12 right now, plus 175 and plus 210, respectively. But, I mean, I don't think it's the boldest thing in the world. I could easily see Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State making a run there. I could easily see Baylor doing it. I could, you know, it's the Big 12, man, and it's, it's demolition derby year out there. So we were talking the other night about whether anyone was going to win 10 games in the Big 12. So certainly, if we're in that kind of world, everyone has shown vulnerability, uh, significant vulnerability by that point. Yeah, I, I could see easily someone other than OU or Texas winning out there. Now, the next one, it's tough for me to stomach. It's tough for me to envision this one. So if you try and picture this. If anyone can sell me on this, short of injury, if anyone can sell me on it, I'd be interested to hear you. Neither C.J. Stroud nor Bryce Young will be Heisman finalist this upcoming season. Take injury out of it. How does this happen? How do both of them play this year and miss out on going to New York? Bryce Young won it last year. C.J. Stroud's one of the top favorites to win it this year. So, so how do they not get injured and still not make it? They're two solid favorites. Obviously, you have got the premier position taken care of here. Both of them are quarterbacks. You've got a couple of top two teams, maybe the, the top two teams in the country this year. You've got premier stables of wide receivers for them to throw to. You've got a lot of talent in the backfield along with them. And they're both in the pole position because they're high-profile players. And here's a little stat that Stats and Info gave me. In other words, Jesse. This is a really good one. Seven of the top ten Heisman finalists last year are gone. Only three of them are playing this year. And one of them is Bryce Young. One of them is C.J. Stroud. And one of them is our favorite, Will Anderson. So, stands to reason, unless you've got injury cropping up, one of, if not both of them, have a very, very good chance to go to New York. I made this one like an eight or maybe even a nine. Maybe I should have made it a nine. It's very bold to consider neither uh, finalist for the Heisman. Uh, the next one's kind of cruel. And I think someone needs to search their heart here. You need to have a little come to Jesus meeting all on your own, but I'm going to read it out here in front of God and everyone. Bradley Hall says Auburn's going 0-8 in conference play this year. I gave this an eight. I think this is pretty bold. I'm not the biggest believer in Auburn this year, but even I think this is pretty bold. Whew. I'm looking at the schedule, though. It's a tough schedule. Always is. Auburn's a, a very, very tough job. A year in and year out, it's one of the toughest schedules in the country. I just need them to win one of the following. Follow along with me. They got Missouri at home. They've got LSU at home. They've got Arkansas at home. They go to Mississippi State, and they've got Texas A&M at home. I, I got to have you win one of those. Sure, an upset would be great. I'm not counting on you at Alabama. I'm not, I'm not counting on you at Georgia. Even at Ole Miss, I'm not counting on. But, man, Brian, you guys got to win one of those. You know how rarely I refer to coaches just by their first name around here. Uh, got to win one of those, don't they? So that would be very, very wild. I, I don't remember many seasons, even seasons where not a lot was expected, where a team just flatlines all year. Yeah, it's happened. 
but rarely does it happen. There's got to be some uptick. They could even miss a bowl game. There's got to be some uptick. There's got to be one game where, you know, they, they just have one of those afternoons where everything comes together. It's got to happen. Those, those home games. I mean, out of Missouri and LSU and Arkansas and A&M, win one of them. Or go to Mississippi State. Just win one of them. Uh, the last one here is one that I'm going to spend a considerable amount of time on as the season gets closer. But how about this one to chew on? A first-year head coach is 100% taking his squad to the playoff. Too many good coaches. Checking in from Hollywood, Florida. Keep up the dope work. I think this is going to happen. You know, I actually made this prediction earlier today on HQ. I think this is going to happen. I only give this a three. I don't think this is bold at all. Because of how many new coaches are at high-profile programs. Brent Venables is at Oklahoma. Uh, Marcus Freeman's at Notre Dame. Lincoln Riley, obviously. We're going to talk about him a little bit more in a second. He's at USC. Billy Napier is at Florida. You can just go up and down the list. Dan Lanning at Oregon. Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. I, I think one of them's going to make the playoff. And I'll tell you what that's going to do. As soon as one of these first-year coaches makes the playoff, it's going to ruin coaching transitions for every future staff. Because in the future, no fan base is ever going to be told, you got to have some patience. No fan base is ever going to be told, give me a couple of years, we got to rebuild on our hands. Because they're going to point to Lincoln Riley or Brenton Venables or Dan Lanning, whoever makes it this year, and they're going to say, well, he was new. It didn't take him any time. Why should we buy that from you? Do what Lincoln did in 2022. Just go take 15 or 20 kids out of the portal. It's not that easy. What Lincoln Riley and USC are doing is not easy. It's not easy at all. Uh, but... That won't really matter to a, to a bloodthirsty fan base. So I think one of them's going to make it. I know that's a little, little out there, but I don't think it's that bold. I think one of them's going to make it. All right, we have several questions and hopefully answers to get you uh, tonight. We got a lot of live viewers. Man, we have 2,300 live viewers. Thank you for being tuned in. Remember, this is year-round. We don't do off-seasons. We don't even say the word out loud. So thank you for being here. We are on the road to 100,000 subs on this YouTube channel. Over 60% of our viewers are not subscribed. Let's change it. When we get to 100K, big things are coming. I will assure you, big things are coming. Because management has assured me, 100K, just subscribe. Podcast, subscribe to those feeds. YouTube, subscribe to those feeds. And that's it. Nothing else happens. It's free. Thank you in advance. Let's dive into the mailbag. Some things have been happening and because you got Jimbo and Saban doing what they're doing, it's kind of been overlooked. But Jan hit us and asked, won't removing divisions just end in rematches in title games more often? I thought we were trying to be less like the NFL. And what Jan is talking about here is a rule that has since been approved by the NCAA that you don't have to have divisional play to have a conference championship which means you can just have a great big hodgepodge of teams, 10, 12, 14, and they can just do whatever. Have your schedule however you want it to. You don't have to have divisions like the SEC and the Pac-12 and the, the Big Ten and the ACC like they currently have. Well, as soon as that got passed, the Pac-12 said, forget about 2023. This year, like this upcoming year that we're 100 days away from, we will not, we will not honor division results. We're just going to take the top two teams in the conference regardless of division, and they're going to play in the conference title game. But they're going to keep, at least for this year, the divisional scheduling format, which is kind of weird and, and could lead to some very wonky results. But Jan is making a more overarching suggestion 
that this is going to lead to more rematches. And she may very well be right. Think about it. If we don't have divisions in the SEC, statistically, Auburn and Alabama could play in the SEC title game or in the Big Ten. This is really the one that's got a lot of people's attention. Ohio State and Michigan are not moving that game from the last week of the regular season. This past year, guess who the top two teams in the Big Ten would have been if you did not honor division results? You would have had a rematch. That snowy Saturday that we were a part of, we were on the field for that game in Ann Arbor, and then the, the storming of the field, they would have cleaned that field off. They would have both headed to Indianapolis, Indiana in a climate-controlled environment. They would have played again six or seven days later. And Jan's saying, they do that sometimes in the NFL. Do we want that in college football? I don't think there's a perfect answer here. I've racked my brain just like everyone else has. I don't think there's a perfect answer, Jan. I, I am actually on board with doing away with divisions. But even I understand, hey, that runs us a risk of maybe having a result that not all of us are on board with. I mean, I can't tell you that I'm crazy about the idea of a couple of teams playing back-to-back uh, -back Saturdays. No, I'm not crazy about that. We just watched Alabama and Georgia rematch from a conference title game to a national title game, and people were turned off by that. So I can't imagine how turned off you may be if you end up getting the rematches that go seven days apart instead of at least three or four weeks apart. But what is the alternative? The alternative is to keep things like they are right now. And I know that I'm the one fighting here sometimes to preserve certain aspects of this sport, but I'm not, I'm not totally resistant to change if it's good. I think this is good change. Because I think that the ultimate thing you want to do is you want to reward excellence. You don't want someone from the Big Ten West going, even though there are three or four teams you would power rate above them in the Big Ten East, just because of a technicality, just because of an imaginary line drawn on a map. That's not, that's not the true spirit of competition. And so, yeah, we do run the risk of having rematches. That's just something we're going to have to, we're going to, have to bite the bullet on. The only alternative really to... to fully do away with that possibility is something that I don't think anyone's going to be on board with, nor would I. The only way you can avoid that is take your out-of-conference games and play them at the end of the year, which would, for all sorts of reasons, be dumb. So you've got to do it the way you got to do it. And if you're going to have your conference title games, yes, you do have to run the risk of rematches, just the way it is. Next up, uh, something that broke earlier today. So, I mean, we're absolutely getting this in the show. Simply Steve said, I need a rapid reaction for Jordan Addison transferring from Pitt to USC. Yes, that became official late this afternoon. That new look Trojan, what do we think about him? Well, you got to credit Lincoln Riley here. I know a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about Lincoln Riley, but man, what they're doing is not easy. I don't care what anyone tells you. I don't care what kind of leveraged or privileged position you're working from and what your brand is and how much playing time you can promise and what NIL's doing for you. It's hard. It is hard. If it was easy, I'll tell you this. If it's so easy to do what Lincoln Riley's doing, show me someone do it. Every February, March, April, May, show me someone else do it. So this is, there's a credit to them. What you think about the way they're doing it is totally separate from the fact that they're doing it. So credit there, it's perfect timing. The first thing I thought when I saw this headline is, you know, we're out here, we're having a production meeting. Oh, I'm on the phone with folks. Like, we're trying to get a grip on how we're going to talk about Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher clashing. And, boop, Jordan Addison, right there just around 5 o'clock Eastern time there in the middle of a, a college football tornado. Jordan Addison said, I'm going to USC. Bye. And that was it. You know, this has been in the works for like a month. It could have broken any day. When did it break? 
just so happened to break right in the middle of a firestorm, the likes of which college football's never seen in the month of May. I don't even care if that is by design. I credit you guys if it was by design. So here you go. Here you go. I'll give you the fight on sign for that. Um, this is one of the best wide receiver rooms we've seen at USC in quite a while. You got, you've got all kinds of talent here. Now, here's the pushback. If you're a UCLA fan or an Oregon fan or whatever, you could say, okay, we've seen potential there before. How much of that potential in that room has been proven in a Los Angeles, California? And the answer is not a lot. I think USC fans get that. They're not excited because of a bunch of returning proven production. They're excited about what can be. Uh, newsflash, the entire program right now is what can be. They don't like what was out there. That's why they hit the dump button and they have a lot of what can be. But this wide receiver room serious. And they, they don't lack at quarterback. See, sometimes you've got a wide receiver room, but you say, who's going to get them the ball? Uh, Caleb Williams is getting them the ball out there. And when he doesn't deliver it, you got Travis Dye, a 1,200-yard guy in the backfield to hand it off to. They don't hurt for skill here. There is a lot of Sunday talent that's going to be on the field at USC this fall. They totally remade their offense in the transfer portal. I mean, think about what is on campus now that was not on campus when they said goodbye to Clay Helton. Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, Mario Williams, Travis Dye, Brendan Rice, Austin Jones. That's not even, that's a fraction of the amount of guys they brought in in the transfer portal. So they remade this thing, man. I mean, so credit to Lincoln Riley. That's my rapid reaction. Credit to Lincoln Riley. He got it done. There's, a, there's big demand out there for a guy like Jordan Addison, obviously. I read the statement he put out. It was really classy. He thanked Pitt. He thanked Pat Narduzzi. Pat Narduzzi's been very outspoken on this. Uh, I've, I've talked to you about what I think about tampering allegations, so I don't need to go down that road again. Big get for USC. Congratulations to USC. I didn't want to end the show tonight uh, without talking about some big news in the SEC, and it, it doesn't have to do with Jimbo Fisher or um, Nick Saban. There's some big news out of Gainesville uh, that I did not want to get overlooked. If you're like me and you grew up in the South and you respect the voices of the SEC, Mick Hubert is retiring from Florida after 33 years as the voice of the Gators, and it has been a storied career. I mean, they put out a press release today. He is the only broadcaster in history to call national title wins in the same university for college football, college basketball, and college baseball. So he's been there. He's called every Florida football game since the opener in 1989. Mick Hubert is a guy who saw everything from Steve Spurrier and Danny Werfel to Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, oh my, heard him say it I don't know how many times. So congratulations on a heck of a career for Mick Hubert. Big shoes to fill down there. And one of the voices that was a staple of my childhood. Ever since I have been old enough to watch Florida football or listen to it on the radio, it's been that guy's voice that was the soundtrack. So congratulations, hats off to Mick Hubert. Big time Pate State material. Uh, what a show tonight. I mean, what a show. And we're here 53 minutes, so the under hit, because 57 minutes was the bet tonight. I want to put out, uh, now that we're at the end of the show, and only the diehard fans are listening, I want to tell you something. A lot of stuff's happening with the show. All of it's good. Every single bit of it. I'm going to put something out there for you. If you've ever wanted to be a partner on this show, I do this about once or twice a year and there's no guarantee anything will come of it because I have right of first refusal for any ad partnership that we enter into. That's why we only got one. If you've ever been interested in that, this is the time of year I would suggest you reach out to me. 
If you got a regional, national brand, if you think your demo coincides with ours, if you like what the show is about, it would not hurt us to have a conversation. That's all I'll promise. But you see my email down at the bottom of that screen? Yes, that's how we do business here. There's no business email. You hit me up at joshpate706 at gmail.com. And if you are so inclined, and if we can make something work, and we see eye to eye, uh, ideologically and philosophically, who knows? Season is still 100 days away after all. So I'm just going to leave that out there and let it be what it is. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure that you like the video on YouTube and make sure you are following on the social channels. I mean, how much fun did we have on there over the past 24 hours? At Late Kick Josh. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, for our entire crew here, thank you so much. Have a great early start to your weekend and God bless you.